All right. Good evening, everyone. We always give a few moments here to let the uh, let the folks come into the room. Oh my goodness, is it hot in the Midwest? I, I suppose it's hot everywhere. It seems like it's getting hot everywhere, uh, which would kind of make sense with the way the current farming practices are. But um, whoo! I think today in Indiana it was ninety four. Tomorrow it's 96, 97. That's hot. That, that's hot. So stay inside, be safe, only go out if you need to go out. Just this is only going to last a few days. Now, I don't know where you are in the world, but maybe you're in a massive heat wave. I know there's a lot of issues in Europe and Texas is getting hot again. So um, I understand that. Arizona, all that. I get that. But uh, places that aren't used to this kind of heat, please be careful. Drink a lot of fluids. Only go out if you need to. Well, folks, tonight we've got a great guest, Salar. You're, you're going to this guy, um, Salar Shimarani. He's got quite a, a back, background here, and I really want to go deep into his background because then it'll come forward and tie into what he's doing currently. So uh, with, all, with all due, Salar, Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Hi, Rick. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. It's, it's an honor for us. So now i got to start everything the same way. Giddy up. Let's go. Salar, what is on your mind right now? Apart from regretting why I moved to Texas because of the heat. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. Texas is great. I love Texas. Um, Rick, I'm a, uh, it's a good question. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big coffee lover. Uh, oh. I love coffee and I have, um, and I have been, you know, on a, on a coffee roastery journey to try different ones. And recently, recently I've dived deep into coffee production okay. uh, and unraveled a maze of things that I didn't know before all the way from, you know, consumer side of it to retail side of it, to production and roastery side of it, to farming side of it. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been quite a journey. Um, and what's been top of mind for me recently and in my mind is, is, um, is the coffee world in South America in particular, uh, and how, how amazed I am by the, scale, the size, diversity, um, and, 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 and quantity of production. It's the second largest beverage that is consumed by people around the world after Coca-Cola, I believe. Um, so it's, it's incredible, uh, incredible world <laughs> coffee production. But yeah, that, that's been something that has been top of my mind lately. Uh, I like coffee. I mean, I don't like coffee. I never, I've never drank a cup of coffee in my life. I've tasted it a couple of times and I can't stand it. But that, but Salar, look at that as a positive thing. That leaves more for you. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you're not the only one. There's a guy called Gabe Brown. I heard that he doesn't like coffee either. But, <laughs> but you can also enjoy the byproduct of it. I mean, now people are, you know, going and using the you know, coffee shells to make kombucha and soft drinks. It's, um, it, it's quite, it's quite amazing how the world of coffee is evolving. So I don't blame you. It's, it's a, it's a tricky taste to, to love. 
Well, I don't like bitter things, and I think coffee's bitter. So mm -hmm. now maybe I've just not had the right coffee. I don't know, and that's okay. I've slower. I got plenty of vices. I don't need to add coffee to the list <laughs> at this age, so that's okay. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but since you're here, I do research this stuff for other reasons. But um, I know of at least two major. I'm going to say varieties. Maybe it's Arabica and Robusta. So I'm sure there's other ones, but those are the two major players, right? Correct. I mean, obviously, yes, you're right that there are that there are the major players, but uh, you have all sorts of other types that are single source, you know, coffees. Uh, there are multi. There are, um, yeah, it's it's quite a world, you know. If yeah. if you're accustomed to the world of brewery and beers, I mean, coffee is exactly like that has its own world of tasting and varieties and and combinations yeah all right i'm, I'm just going to ask one more question about coffee then we're moving on tell me where you were in the world when you had the cup of coffee that knocked your socks off you're like wow i have never had a cup of coffee like that before um i tell you what i there is a there is a coffee shop that um I used to visit when I was living in London in the UK and the name was Artisan Coffee Shop. Yeah. And it was, if folks know London much, it's in West London, it's in Chiswick area, Hammersmith, Chiswick area. And the owners were Australians um, that I believe at the time they started traveling around the world in their young age. And they were inspired by some of the coffee farmers around the world and they settled in London. And they created this coffee shop and they sourced their own coffee that they loved through their travels. Um, that coffee roast, that, that roasted coffee variety um, is probably the reason that I fell in love with coffee. Um, and they had a school. I went to their coffee school, to their latte art school. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, the funny and beautiful shapes that you make with milk on top of coffee. I you know, hard was to be a barista. Is that right? <laughs> I try. I'm. I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not that neat in in crafting the art on uh, on a latte. So I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a job in there. All right. Enough about coffee. Let's Slar. Let's go. Let's go deep back. I want you to take us through your your career. I don't care where you start. Then when you're doing that, would you then at the point stop and say tell us when regenerative farming became your your driving force okay so bring us through the journey here sure um i mean i started you know i started my university degree in the uk um i studied civil engineering believe it or not uh, but i knew probably second year into my university that engineering wasn't going to be my forte and i and I wanted to, you know, have a career that I can interact with people. Yeah. And quick enough, I, I went on an internship in a business consultancy company in London. And, and that's where I knew that, you know, business management consultancy is going to be something that I really would enjoy. Um, anyways, after having a stint uh, out of university and, you know, having to go at doing academic work for, for about a year, I, I, I left academia and joined um joined the world of business consultancy in the uk um 
And the company I worked with uh, or I worked for, they were, they were really active in the infrastructure sector, mostly, you know, airport and train operating companies and railroad, as, as we call it here. Um, and, and at the time I worked with Heathrow Airport, you know, Heathrow Express, which is the train line between central London and Heathrow Airport, and a few other sort of infrastructure transport companies before before jumping ships and, and joining KPMG, which is a, I'd say, multinational professional services firm, or they call them Big Four alongside Deloitte and PwC and, and Samsung and Young. That's a big company. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's, it's an incredible size. And I joined at the time uh, their deal advisory team. Uh, again, worked in their asset management team within corporate finance. Um, and that's where, you know, the first exposure into the world of food, and I don't want to say ag uh, at all, food and grocery and retail um, was, was opened up. I, I went and became a uh, became project manager on a, a large engagements that we had at the time with Tesco. And, and if folks don't recognize Tesco, it's almost the Walmart of Europe. They are, they're a grocery chain. They were, in, in, they were more than, at some point, more than 13 countries in the world, mostly you know, Europe, Asia. And they came to US under the brand Fresh and Easy. Um, and, and Rick, there's a funny story about that. I'll tell you later uh, how they failed in the US. Um, and so that's, that's where I started to get a lot of exposure in the world of groceries and retails. I stayed as, as part of the you know, global finance transformation project for about two and a bit years um, before, before going to other projects. But essentially, Tesco came back from a scandal of horse selling you know, horse meat as beef uh, for a bit of time. That was a scandal in the Europe. And then they had overestimated the profit um, for a quarter from, I think it was more than $400 million at the time. Oh, um, so they had this corporate dilemma and wanted to really not only find out what the root cause and the problem was, but they wanted to fix it too. Um, and, and honestly, the, the root cause was they, they grew too quick and they didn't have the system infrastructure preparation to be able to go from 1,000 stores to 10,000 stores globally in the space of five years, you know. Um, so that's where the world of groceries and, you know, retail became really interesting to me. The, the supply chain around it, food production, distribution, fulfillment. Um, it was a great learning opportunity. It, it was quite something. I, I do owe a lot of, a lot of my learnings and, you know, strategy and um, deals to my days at Tesco's. And, and they were a great organization of great people. Um, and, and they are doing fabulously these days. So, yeah, that was, that was really the in start, of, start of the process. And then I worked on a few other engagements too and a few other projects within KPMG before I wanted to, you know, explore something new. You know, at the time I was, um, I was about 28 years old, you know, wanted to explore the world a little bit and I moved to Canada. Yeah. And... I moved to Canada with KPMG and, you know, uh, worked in 
in the deal advisory team, management consulting there. And then towards the end of my time at KPMG, which was back in 2021, I worked with right hailing companies. Um, I worked with um, a distillery in Quebec, which is interesting. They had a partnership with a celebrity and they wanted to grow um, immediately at, at a huge scale that was around the corner. That was a fun project. But then there was, there was a March, 20, March 2021 that my, my boss came to me and said, this, there's a guy who is the founder and CEO of this ag tech company. And, and you, you guys have told me to, to me and Ollie, one of my friends and colleagues at the time, at KPMG we worked together. You guys got to go and meet him, and and he needs. There's some opportunities there. We met Karn at the time, and he asked us to watch Kiss the Ground, the movie. Um, Rick, I, I remember vividly that evening that I watched Kiss the Ground. Um, I that that changed that changed my life. That documentary that that turned on something inside of me that I can't quite put in words, forgive me. Um, and I've been trying to put it in words for the past two years and I'm, and I'm mis- failing miserably to do that. But that was really the start of my journey into, into taking interest in soil, agriculture and farming. Um, so, so yeah, that was it. That was that. You, no, no, hang on. So when you're on your journey back home to Canada now, are you thinking to yourself at this point, you know, I think I just might be leaving KPMG. I, I knew I knew in the night that that I, I can't I can't do what I'm doing yeah. anymore. Yeah. Not not because it wasn't fun and exciting, no. At the time I was working with Vancouver Airport, they were going through a transformation, you know, I was working with an exciting product that was around how we make businesses successful. It was all around growth. It was around reducing costs, greater level of profit, expansion. Yeah. And it becomes, if it's not your business, Rick, as I'm sure you, you, you'd understand, after a while, it becomes repetitive. It becomes yeah. very robotic. Yeah. Um, you have to have a stake, personal stake. Even if it's not your business, you should care about it personally. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I found that, holy moly, this may, very may well be my passion, um, but I didn't know. I thought it was just something that just inspired me, and it's a fad, and it's going to go away. But it didn't. I I quit within four weeks. Um, within within eight weeks, uh, I think eight or nine weeks, I was I was in Gabe's ranch. I, I don't ask me how. It was we called him up, and he said, "Come on in tomorrow," and then we flew to Bismarck. Um, and like yourself, you know, he's always generous with you know. Responding to emails, to texts, to calls, and and visiting his ranch was really, you know, was for me was the wake up call. I mean, seeing is believing. Yeah. Well, that's an incredible journey. But now you got to think. Now, when you look back, you know, I don't know, maybe not the civil engineering part, but you look back at everything you've done to lead up to this point. You now have quite the rounded education eye-opening experiences to, to then come into this problem we have with regenerative farming it's not just the farmers need to fix this this thing's got to be fixed all the way top to bottom through the food system all the way out to the consumer right 
Absolutely. Um, Rick, I was thinking the other day, actually, that you know how the world's largest corporations, every couple of years, they hire consultants, you know, management consultants, business consultants. You know, you look at companies like Peloton, you know, Amex, AT&T, Nutrien, Bayer, all of those guys, because, because of three reasons. One is they are in trouble, uh, whether it's a crisis or a reputational trouble that they need to immediately rectify. Number two is they have to reduce costs because, you know, there is invest, investor pressure and there is shareholder obligations in order for you to grow and make sure that you have a certain level of profit. But it's all around expansion and, and, and transformation, right? Expansion is a sense of, you know, going to different markets, different products, maybe acquiring another company or transforming the business as in pivot into other sectors. What is interesting is that consultants like myself sit in those offices and work with the teams there to really understand their cost and come up with the ideal way to achieve those efficiencies, whatever they are, or objectives, but then really trickling down the impact to the supply chain. Yeah. Right? And, and, and you trickle that down to another supply chain in the mid-market that is, let's say, a dealership for input or seed, and then they're going to have to think about their business and they're going to hire their own consultants that will then rethink, okay, this is the impact on us now. Let's now change our pricing, yeah. increase our pricing, you know, change our due dates to 30 days rather than 60 days, and then that will trickle down ultimately to the next one. And it's a chain until it goes to a farmer. Yeah. And when it gets to a farmer, a farmer is not going to employ a consultant and say, hey, help me transform my business because I'm not making enough profit, right? I think regenerative agriculture provides that opportunity for transformation for farmers. You have done it yourself, you know, yeah. to transform your supply chain yeah. in the way that it works for you. Managing your cost, increasing your profit, increasing your resiliency, you know, choosing your own supply chain of where you want to sell and where you want to place your products, et cetera, et cetera. So short answer is, yeah, in a, in a way, it helped me. Um, and I hope that I can, I really, truly hope that I, I can be successful in helping, helping this movement. Um, you will be. We'll and we're going to get deeper into this. So again, folks, we're with uh, Salar Shimarani, CEO of Regenify. We haven't even gotten to this yet. We're getting there now. Tell us what Regenified is. What, what does it mean and what is it? Um, in, in a very simple term, Rick, Regenified is a land verification and certification company for regenerative practices and ultimately a product certification that helps the ingredients that go, those, comes from those those lands and farms yep. to be recognized and to be, to be labeled and marketed as regenerative products. Essentially what we do, we, we do that verification on land and our entire aim is to bring recognition and reward to farmers and ranchers that practice regeneratively uh, over time. So that's so, in a nascent term. Yeah, so I don't want to cut you off, but so that's what we were talking about a minute ago. Your history now of coming through the food chain, I mean, you were here for a reason, Salar. 
This is why, because see, now you just said it. You're gonna, you're, what you're trying to do is educate the farmers, teach the farmers how to produce things in a regenerative manner, and then align them with the companies that are going to give them a premium to purchase these regener regeneratively made products, correct? Absolutely. So and this is beautiful. I mean, like I said, you're, when you think about your past, it fits perfect to the way you've come to where you are today. Yeah, I, 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 I believe so too. Uh, and, and you know what's, Rick, what's incredible is that there are so many people like me who are being inspired by, by this movement one way or another that are joining, which is incredibly encouraging to see. So thank God I'm not alone. Yeah, oh no, this is huge. And, and Ethan, I, again, I apologize, folks. I don't know why I can't see everybody's name in my chat box. I only get the first few letters. Ethan says, this is exactly what the Living Soil Food School is showing in our research trials with up to 10,000 acres. Companies like Driscoll, everybody knows who Driscoll is, they sell beautiful raspberries and blueberries. Companies like Driscoll Fruits have six years left of topsoil before their farms will run out. And the requirements for consults like this are needed across the world. I don't think uh, anyone else could have said that much better. I mean, Ethan, you're spot on. Um, this, I mean, think about that, folks. Dr the, the farming, and he's not picking on Driscoll's, he's just stating facts here. The farming methods that they're currently using are absolutely destroying the soil profile. And this is what, and, and he's right. So go ahead and tell us who Regenified is, you know, who's your, I don't know, who's the mothership here? Um, sure. And, and Ethan, I, 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 I love the way you put it. Um, that, yeah. that is very true. And, and companies like Driscoll are, are realizing that. Um, essentially, maybe a little bit of a back story into Regenified. Regenified is, you know, founded by Gabe Brown, Alan, Dr. Alan Williams, and Doug Peterson, it, that you know, uh, and, and and some of the co-founders of Understanding Ag. But essentially, you know, Understanding Ag, I don't know if you folks know Understanding Ag, is a, is a consultancy organization. Again, like yourself, Rick, helping, supporting, mentoring farmers and ranchers across the country, if should they need support in the regenerative path. Um, and Regenified was really created because at the time, when Gabe and folks were looking at the industry, they were, they were after supporting a certification verification system that could be watertight. One that could be absolutely trusted by consumers, but also if they are trusted by consumers or have the potential to be, to be wanted to be used by brands, retailers yeah. and CPGs and grocers, yeah. etc. So Regenified was created to, to, to help Everyone who is in this regenerative agriculture movement, and they're all our friends, by the way, to protect, to co-protect the narrative around regenerative agriculture. Because there is a lot going on, Rick, I'm sure you know, and, and, and your, your listeners know as well. We at Regenified are a third-party independent 
verification and certification company, right? So the company, I'm the CEO of the company. I have a board of directors that essentially govern the company and hold me accountable. We have an incredible team that is growing. We don't have any any leniency towards anyone or any movement. We just want to be an inclusive organization. We don't provide consultancy to organizations. We leave that to the amazing likes of yourself and other folks who are doing an incredible job in this space. What we do essentially is we, we, we go and meet farmers where they are in that regenerative journey. We, we, we don't have a checklist. We have a comprehensive um, evaluation criteria that measures practices and outcomes. And, and essentially placing into, into a paradigm of how far you are in that regenerative path and bring that transparency and trust and highlight to the farmer so the consumers know where their products come from and, and the, the commitment that that farmer, farmer is making uh, to expand and increase and adopt more regenerative practices over time. Yeah. Now, Deanna's on. Deanna Lazinski, how are you doing this evening, Deanna? Um, Deanna's got a question. What is the premium for farmers who grow wheat or grains and, and pay to be regenified? So, first of all, before you go, correct, I mean, I may have misspoke a moment ago. You're not, you don't always have premiums for folks that are getting your certification. I probably misspoke there. That's not always the case, right? But you're trying to get premiums. That's trying, that's the part of the puzzle. Or maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. Re-explain re what I said there, if I'm incorrect. For sure. Um, we, we all know that we have commodities market, right? The prices are decided by the market. So um, maybe some people will argue, but it's not the one entity that decides a price or premium. But essentially, that's what the market dictates, the conditions, the, the social, political, you know, economical, um, you know, activities every second of the day decides that. But essentially what we are trying to do, I take a step back. There are, there is 1 billion arable acres or roughly 1 billion arable acres in the US, right? Um, we have a few single digit acres that are, that are you know, certified organic. We have other uh, certifications that are there that are doing great, great job on bringing some trust and transparency. Uh, into the system. Let's say that altogether there are, you know, 10 million acres of farms in the U.S. that getting a premium, a predefined premium in terms of whether being organic and, and other similar or different programs that are out there. There is 90% or, or a vast majority of, of farmers or farming operations that are getting conventional pricing, right? Um, they are not necessarily certified in one program or the other, and they may not want to be certified, but the, the role that Regenified is wanting to play and what we are playing is because there is demand for regenerative products. And um, we all know that there is supply for regenerative products because there are a lot of farmers who are practicing regeneratively. We want to bring this demand and supply close to each other. and and help folks to, to reward <clears throat> those farmers that are practicing regeneratively and give them a premium on top of conventional. Now, a farm might be organic, you know, and they're getting an organic premium and they may become regenerified. We have some farmers who are becoming regenerified that are organic too. You know, they may get a premium or they may not. 
But essentially, our priority is how to get that 90% to be able to have more accessible product uh, at, a, at, a, at a premium. And Diana, I, I just want to make sure that I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't be diplomatic not to answer your questions directly. We have seen some farmers on Regenify and Certified Operations that have received a, a very healthy premium on double-digit percentage on top of conventional and on top of organic. And we've had farmers who didn't. Uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got the price and they want it. Um, oh, sorry, they, they were always selling. But the truth of the fact is that I'm not going to promise a premium to every single farmer because I'd be lying. Yeah. What I'm promising is that Regenified is doing all its best to raise awareness and education around how the, the regenerative farming practices that the farmers are doing is producing top-notch crop and products. Yeah, Deanna's doing that. Her and her husband are doing that. They were on our, our show, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago. I don't remember exactly the timing. But my gosh, uh, they are knocking it out of the park on, on their farm. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I don't remember, Deanna. Uh, it's 14 or 15 or 16 different species you're growing. All no-till, no more inputs. I mean, they've gone all the way. So, um it's good, and you're right, Salar. There, there are people like like Lozinski's everywhere around the Midwest, and you guys are slow learning to find them. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are on this wagon right now, and they're ready. You know, they're they're cracking the whip. Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to go to. There's another comment there, but I'm going to go down. Deanna just came in real quick. Why would farmers pay to be regenified? if there is no financial compensation i guess you could ask that same question for any certificate but let's go for let's go for regenified um so let me think about it because i want to make sure that i i give a thoughtful answer so i'm going to talk about sort of macro developments Regenerative movement and the commitments that organizations are making, whether that's brands, CPGs, you know, supply chain players, is in early stages of, you know, recognition or widespread recognition by everyone in the supply chain. And, and folks want to be competitive in that space and be the one launching the first regenerative product or launching certified regenerative products, whether that's through Regenified or other great certification programs that are out there. Um, it is important for brands to recognize that consumers do care about authenticity, traceability, and transparency. They care about um, trusting that if a brand or an outlet makes certain claims or discloses some information about the product that that consumer is purchasing, that those claims or those information are accurate. And in order to do that, they may have to rely on services of certification. And again, certifications that can provide that transparency, traceability, and confidence to be able to, you know, have the trust of consumers. Brands also need to recognize that that certification costs a dollar. Um, and ultimately, it's either the brand that needs to pay a premium 
for farmer to get that certification. We cannot simply ask a farmer to pay for a certification and take on just to have a badge of honor and sell the products as a conventional or old pricing. So to answer your question, Diana, I'd say that, that the market and, and how it's evolving, there is potential for premiums. And, and there is a marketing effort that the farmer needs to put in, obviously, to, to um, market their products and say why they are different. But we are also trying to bring that spotlight to those operations that are truly doing a great job in terms of regeneration based on our you know, program. So our entire hope is that we will create an accessible market that will reward farmers and ranchers that are practicing regeneratively. But I tell you what, Diana, that the supply chain right now, the agricultural supply chain from a farm gate to a processing facility has a lot of middlemen or middle persons, right? And all of them are there because they take a cut, they take a percentage. So we see ourselves playing a role on bringing that sort of demand and supply piece closer to each other to help folks, brands and farmers to save costs so everyone can can better off. The consumer can have more accessible pricing, the brands can have lesser costs, and the farmer can have a premium too. So there is a lot of value to be unlocked in between as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, Deanna's got a legitimate question there, and I'm, I'd like to answer it from the far, from me, the farmer side of point of view. So here's my take on this. And folks, I'm not certified with anybody. I mean, we are certified organic, and that's it. We, we don't have any re, uh, regeneration uh, certifications, and I think we are, um, like Deanna, some of the epitomes of regeneration. I mean, no inputs, uh, hardly excuse me, hardly any tillage. I mean, it's so minute, it's it's not even worth mentioning at most times. <clears throat> but, you know, can I get, a, have I ever had anybody call and say, hey, Rick, you know, we give you a 10% bump if you, if you get regen certified? No, never had anybody call, so I haven't done it. But I think, though, there's another way to look at it. If you, if you deeply care about soil health, and you want to verify that your systems are working, then get certified because their test will tell you if what you're doing is correct or not. So this is a way to validate your practices on your farm to see if what you're doing is correct. And then if you do get this certification, and again, I don't know what all this stuff costs folks because I'm not researched this because it really is not at the front of my mind right now. but. Let's say, and, and you know how often your phone just rings out of the blue and somebody's looking for malted barley and they need it tomorrow and you're not certified. Well, had you been certified just waiting on that phone call, then you already are certified and you say, you know what? I got a thousand bushels of malted barley sitting here and it's got a certificate on it. How much do you want to pay for it? So there's all kinds of different angles to take on this and I've not stepped into this arena. Deanna, have you stepped in? I don't know if you have or not. Just a simple yes or no will be fine. I don't know. Uh, but that's kind of my take on this. Um, but what I really like about my thoughts there were, though, the fact that, you know, you're going to send a crew out to the farm and all of a sudden, you know, you got seven fields and only four of them passed. And why, why didn't the other three pass? 
And I'm sure you're going to explain that to the, to the farmer and then they can change their practices to then get them all to be able to be certified. So you see, that's the benefits of it. Yeah, Dan is not certified. Okay, I didn't know if you were or not, Dan. I don't think we talked about that uh, in our interview. Um, Ed Bourgeois, what, Ed, how you doing? What are the, the specifics for the process on the farm for the farmer? Okay, yeah, this is what, this is where we're going to go a little deep, and then I will come back to um, uh, Ethan's comment in a minute. Go ahead and take that, that question from Ed, if you would. For sure, and, and I just want to make sure that Rick, I recognize what you just said is absolutely true, you know. And again, we don't want to go on that false promise of telling farmers and ranchers there is a premium around the corner or sign up because yeah. we don't want to let folks down. But I think everyone who is signing up for a certification program, whether that's regenerative or not, they should do a due diligence and knowing what's the return on that investment. Yeah. You know, that, that, that is important. If there is none, then it is more of a you know, personal emotional decision whether you want that budget or not. But answering Benjamin's question, sorry, uh, answering Ed's question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Regenify's process requires a, an annual field verification. Um, and the field verification consists of really two buckets of assessments. One is um, we measure practices um, and we use the six principles of soil health, which I'm sure some folks are familiar. Some use four principles, some use five principles, but essentially we use six, which includes context. We look at disturbance, we look at living roots, we look at you know diversity, we look at context. Again, we cannot compare Rick's farm in Indiana to another farm in California. Different contexts, different participation, different weather climate, so we cannot compare apples with oranges. We also look at diversity integration as well. Um, the only principle within six principle that we have, um, it's not mandatory, is livestock. Because we understand that some folks, you know, don't have the means, are not able to, or they don't want to have livestock. So it's not mandatory, even though we see improvements in those that have. But again, that's not something that we, we absolutely require. And we look at the three rules of stewardship, you know, the compounding, and so every decision that you are making has a compounding and cascading effect on your farm. And again, it's important to see, you know, re regenerative agriculture is not prescription. It's a transition. It's a journey. It's, it's your senses. It's how you are receiving messages from your farm, whether it's in your soil, whether it's in your growth rate, how, you, how you're feeling your, your environment, right? Uh, the kind of assessments you do. And then we look at the six principles and three rules of the stewardship and we measure the impact on four ecosystem processes. I'm sure you guys know about it, the holistic management, four ecosystem processes, energy flow, which is carbon, you know, water flow. We look at um, diversity and community dynamics. Um, we do a whole raft of tests as well. You know, we do some uh, in-field testing, lab testing as well. We, in average, we collect about 60 data points from each, each um, each verification that we come to a field. Uh, and the soil test that we do, I'm sure you guys would agree that any test is there. We have PLFA, we have aggregate stability, we have water holding capacity, uh, bulk density. So 
we try to make it as exhaustive as possible to make sure when we say a farm is you know certified there are claims and proof behind it from a practice and outcome perspective um our program also um so so the one thing that i want to mention is that we don't take salt samples every year we do it every three years um because first of all, it takes time to, you know, for change profiles to occur. Obviously, it's great to do it, but we also want to make sure that we manage manage cost to farmer as well. Um, and essentially, what 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 we have, and something that is unique about our program, is we have a five tier system, right? And the five tier system is tier one to tier five. So tier one is for those folks that are that are not practicing regeneratively yet at extent. They're either are about to start or just started uh, the regenerative practices that's where up to about 20 percent of your land is practicing regeneratively so you may have a you know 1000 acre farm that you're practicing on 200 acres or less um tier two is 20 to 40 percent tier three is 40 to 60 four is you know six to 80 and five is 80 to 100 as you would assume when you're in tier two, which is at least 20% of your land is practicing regeneratively and meeting those six, three, four that I mentioned, then that's where you, you are certified regenerified. So that's where you can use a certification seal. You can call your crop or, um, or products, depending on what we assess, a certified regenerified product. And that's where, uh, that's where you, have, you can have hopefully access to more, uh, you know, uh, more readily available markets that have huge demands. But a key part of our requirements is that every three years, you add at least 20% to your, to your regenerative practices. So if you, if you were regenerative at 22% to tier two, then we would expect in three years time, you make a transition to 42% at least. So that would, that would help the world to know that you are not just getting the certification to sit there. You know, there are some certification programs that you just sit there forever. I want to make sure that there is a, there is an accumulation and transition of farms and lands to more regenerative practices over time until hopefully one day we are all practicing 80 to 100% like Rick and many other people out there. I hope that explained it. And, and I'm happy to share visuals later so for folks to see it in on a paper. Yeah, and this may not be a fair question because, again, you, you, you context is critical here, folks. But, Slar, I mean, just... Can you ballpark here for us? What's an average per acre cost of this thing going to be for the farmer? I mean, can you can you safely say something? We're not going to hold you to these numbers, but just ballpark. Um, we don't have a set pricing, and the reason being is a twelve thousand acre farm that has three fields in Canada is very different than a twelve thousand acre farm like Trey Hills that has many fields yeah. in the East Coast. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> context is a key piece of our pricing as well. But what I can tell you, Rick, is that we do consider um, affordability as a key part of our pricing. Um, okay. And that's why we, we make sure that if we are doing, let's say, a certification verification in Indiana, we couple it with other verifications we do in Indiana. So it creates a cost savings for folks. So we don't have a per acre pricing. It's a combination of how much it costs us to send one of our qualified verifiers to your location for them to spend the time, take all the samples, you know, for us to pay all the all the all the fees associated with it. 
right. we really are wanting to see how much actually cost us because that way we can make it affordable for folks yeah sorry i couldn't give a straight answer no i didn't figure you could because that's that's a loaded question and i understand that um but i i guess i guess let me ask it to you this way it's going to be affordable right well doug and i doug peterson who's our chief scientist we were doing some analysis the other day and, and don't hold me you know to account folks, it was just more around, if someone has a couple of, you know, 1,000, 2,000 acre of corn, how much would it cost them? And again, we didn't consider how many fields there are, you know, we didn't consider many, many things where they are at. We we figured out it was around three to four cents per per bushel of corn that the cost of certification carried. We we would like to think so, yeah. I mean, even if you didn't have a buyer that's paying a premium yet today, you could afford to do that and then be in the wing when that buyer shows up and get a 15 cent premium and your net, you know, it's always about return on your investment here. Everything is. It's not about winning the yield contest. It's about maximizing what we can do with the soil we have in the context that we're in. So spot on. Yeah, spot on. All right, Ethan, here, this is a long one. So if you need a, a dr- refresh your drink, go ahead. Uh, we need an Angie's list of provided consultants across the world to make these connections like Regenify to connect with companies to save costs, provided educational write-off experiences, green space write-off with local schools of elementary through college. I, I'm liking this for folks to taste, smell, and feel the difference in permaculture, nutrient-filled food that will swear consumers to the potential of full health and soil. Now, I'm gonna stop right there. It's, and he's nailing it here. It's all about what the consumer is asking for. They are driving the bus. So, you're, Ethan, you're, you're spot on, just like you were previously. So, let me keep going here. Contacting scientists to have them share their, their top tips, homemade recipes and companies uh, the recommended are extremely important, like Brian McLeod is an example of. Living soil currently is what leads the movement for cannabis and most first place winning cannabis cup flour every time using soil as if it was sourdough bread getting better over time. I cannot speak at all to what he's saying, but I, I would believe it. Adam Cobb with the Living Soil Food Web School is working on an Angie's List from scientists we work with from Dr. John Liu, Elaine Ingham, and more. From Premium, would you consider using food meant for people too as feed for plants like blackstrap molasses? That one I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had an answer to, but, but Ethan, even, thank you yeah. very much for those for those for those contacts and for those contacts. I'm definitely taking some notes here. Yeah, you nailed that. Uh, thank you, Ethan. That was awesome. But you know, do you think back to what he's saying, though, Salar? Do you think there is that list of you know the phone book, whatever the the yellow pages? I'll go to consultants and 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 do they pop up? Oh, 100%. I mean, you, there are so many folks out there. This is, this is someone asked me uh, about a few months ago, that, so what's your estimation of, you know, 
truly regenerative farms in America. You know, if you, if you were to give it an acre and, and folks, I haven't done a, you know, detailed due diligence on this, but from what I'm seeing, from what I'm being given, some formal estimates that I've seen that has been transitioned, there is about 50 to 100 million acres of regenerative farms in this country. I mean, I'm sure many of you are practicing to an extent, right? And, and we all know that regenerative is a journey. And Rick, there are so many people out there that are helping one another, providing education, helping hand. And you know what? I'm making this commitment that are regenified. We are working on our website next iteration to make sure we create an inclusive and welcoming list for everyone who is doing this job across the country and across the globe. I think that is absolutely needed, and I totally agree with Ethan. Yeah. Yeah, and Ethan goes on to say, uh, how does Regenify push education for understanding soil beyond soil testing, water saving techniques or requirements to understand the regenerative change they are making with the cost saving techniques? Another good question. You know, I was I was watching a, a few videos a few, a few nights ago. Uh, uh, I, I wish I wish I could say that I spend a lot of time watching next Netflix, but I don't. I'm a I'm a podcast you know junkie right now and listening to some videos. Uh, I think it was uh, Russell Hedricks and one that was saying that people talk about soil, but also people should talk about water. You know, um, and Doug Peterson says the same thing. You know, so I think in a way, one of the roles that we want to make sure we play and do our part is that education piece. You know. We want to we want to we want to talk about outcomes. We want to talk about what, how practices drive those outcomes, whether that's water, you know, uh, water retention, you know, water savings, you know, um, precipitation, uh, runoffs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we have to come up with easily digestible and transfer transferable contents and education pieces that the most consumers can relate to and understand. Because we want to make sure that, you know, our products in Walmart are, are one day are grown regenerative. I know it's a tall order, but we want to make sure that from everywhere in America, whether that's you are living in the most deprived community in America to the most wealthy community in America, you have access to, you know, equitable, regenerative good food in your communities. Yeah. And that education is key. I mean... Salar, if I was a municipality out here in the country somewhere trying to supply clean, fresh water to our citizens of the community, I would be deep concerned about the farming practices around our water supply. Wouldn't you? Rick, the, the bells are ringing now. I, I mean, I'm seeing a huge sort of um, awakening and recognition uh, by folks across the country. I mean, all the way from, you know, where Steve Groff is in Chesapeake Bay and Lancaster County and the folks, the great work that those folks have been doing, to all the way to Missouri and Kansas, where, where those folks are now focusing on using regenerative, you know, farming practices to assess and also help them with, uh, with um, water management strategies in those counties and in those states. So, Rick, you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if Lude Mila's on here this evening, but Ethan, I, I, can't, uh, I can't answer your question there. And I meant how can you make blackstrap molasses compost tea with this fulvic acid, biochar, and humic acid as the base? I, I can't help you on that. 
Uh, Ludmila, if you're on tonight, would you please uh, respond to that? Because you would definitely know how to do that. Uh, and Ethan is also saying uh, a tip for water savings and certification. Zachary Weiss has a, a, a looks like a web page, or I don't know if that's a, a a YouTube or whatever. But there's a link there if you want to uh, copy that link. Um, Ed is asked, or Ed saying, heard Whole Foods has approved Regenify. How do they intend to explain and promote it? Is that is that a fact? Is that public knowledge? Whoop, Salar, we lost your. I'm back. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that that is correct. So, um, I think it was late last year that you know Whole Foods added us to their uh, list of approved um, verification certification labels. That they carry. Um, I mean, Regenified is not the only one. You know, Land to Market is there. Regenified Organic Certified is there. So there are options for folks. Um, and as to answer your question on how do they intend to explain and promote it, I think, you know, Will Harris talks about regenerative as a topic being the, the fine line between whether it's complex or complicated, right? Um, and let's be honest, it is. It is. It is complex. Um, and it's not, it's not going to be easy. And I think everyone, in a way, is scratching their head um, on how to communicate um, and market regenerative. What is important, Ed, is that we need to, we need to unite um, across the supply chain to put our heads together, to put our hearts together, to collaborate and have a consistent set of messages that we can, we can communicate to, to everybody, especially to consumers. Um, that common ground that we talk about, and everyone says that we have you know, 85% in common and 15% in differences, if we just focus on that 85% common ground we all have, I think there are so much benefits that we could highlight that regenerative you know, practices will bring that will really pike the interest of many people. Um, I'll just stop it there, but just to say that if the, any ideas that you folks on this podcast are listening to have, I'd, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Yeah, I've, I've loved the, the, the back and forth so far. I, we've got a great audience here. These, we've got very well-educated folks that, that dial in every week. It's unbelievable. Um, and you can tell the, the questions and the, the back and forth we get is, is great. So thank you so much from everyone. Keep it coming. Um, I was going to ask you questions, Salar, and I just sidetracked myself. Um, uh, okay. Oh, okay. So, someone calls you up. Well, they may not call you up, but they call Regenified up, and they say, you know, I'm that that tier one farm. I want to get started. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you guys come out and and lay this all out for me? Okay. So you guys come make your visit now i'm assuming again i can't i shouldn't make assumptions but i'm assuming <coughs> excuse me i'm assuming that regenified then will contact understanding ag and understanding ag then will come in and see if they can help teach these folks is that correct uh not necessarily no okay. uh, we we for sure for sure um again that independence is a key part of who we are. We yeah. have to be independent in a sense that we are not trying to be favorable towards anyone. You know, we are not here to hand over business from one pocket to another pocket. 
our, our role is to make sure that we recognize and, and enable the reward mechanisms for folks who practice regeneratively. So let's say now you come and say, you know, guys, I'm on tier one, I have no clue, but I'm really interested in, you know, right. regenerative practices. And I've been on calls and, you know, engaged with the farmers. First of all, there is abundance of information on YouTube, you know, on, 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 on these podcasts, folks can start having a look. And that's what we tell them is that have a look, you know, do some research before you commit to, you know, to go to a consultant. And they may listen to Rick, they may listen to other people, and they should really engage with that educator um, in a way, because you may be growing, you know, specialty crops in the vineyard, or you may be growing your own crops, or you may have your own sort of livestock operations. So if you come to us, we will not necessarily say you should work with this consultant or not. We will, we will if you ask us, we will just happily tell you name of you um, that, in, that may, may include understanding ag, but Rick, we told folks that, you know, there is Rick Clark, there is, you know, Understanding Ag, there are, you know, John Kemp's of the world. There are so many people out there that do this for a living, and they are doing a tremendous job. Well, th that's refreshing, Silar. Thank you, because that's very important. You are exactly correct. That's like, that's like us here. We have never endorsed anything because we don't want to take sides to anything, and you're doing the same thing, and I applaud you for that. And, and I, I want to go again, I want to go a little off in a little different direction here so people thoroughly understand this whole company concept here. There's understanding ag, but you also have a non-for-profit division of this company as well, and you're doing things at probably free, right? Or deeply discounted. And just brief, I mean, I just want you to briefly talk about this because people need to understand the full encompassing power here that's involved. Absolutely. So I'm sure you folks know about Solhoff Academy. And again, you know, Gabe, Alan, and the rest of the folks have been involved, as I'm sure you know, that, you know, uh, late David Brand and Ray Archuleta, they were all just part of it. Right. And then understanding, Ag, I, you know, from what I'm hearing from Gabe was created to, you know, from an education piece when it's up, people needed support, hand-holding, you know, when they needed to. That's, that's when Understanding Ag was created to help folks make this transition. And then the time that passed by, you know, corporations have started to inquire about how they can support their farmers to transition. So that's where Understanding Ag has started to support some of those organizations out there. And Regenified was created. Again, we, we are a separate company, you know, we, we, I personally got inspired through Soul Health Academy educations that I went to. So some people go to Soul Health Academy, some people don't. But essentially, we are making all these education systems, you know, the support that is available to folks, including Soul Health Academy, including Understanding Ag, available to everybody. But Rick, Rick to your point, you're right. You know, there is Soul Health Academy and other academies and education companies out there that provide that education. And Soul Health Academy is a non-for-profit, right? Which means it is really vested and invested into spending what they are making to provide more education to folks. And then you have Understanding Ag that provides that level of transition and support to folks. Um, and then there are likes of Regenify or other, again, certification programs out there that provide that third-party verification slash certification on those operations that may or may not have had consultants or support. Truth of the fact is most of the farms that we are certifying this year, they, they haven't had consultants. 
it's and and, and I'm and I'm going to be be wow. totally frank with you guys. There aren't many farms that even understanding ag, you know, has consultant because we cared about it deeply. We didn't want the world to see that we are just certifying understanding ag because just right. Yeah, we we are really conscious about not wanting to be perceived in the wrong way, if that makes wow. sense. Yeah, you have to be your own company, and and I Correct. thank you for that because you know that's what some people are going to try to say. You know that, so that's okay because you know a lot of people try to base their opinions on perception, so it's never going to change. But we we know you're not doing that, so thank you very much. That that's a that's that's very refreshing. Ethan's got an interesting question there. And even if you say no to that, I'm going to ask you a question right behind it. So, has Regenified worked with ant farms using electroculture? You ever done that? You know what? I'm going to have to pass it on to to more to very much more knowledgeable people um, who who would be able to you know inquire about that. I don't believe we have um, so far as I'm aware, but I'd like to pass it on to the team and to make sure that we we look into it. Ethan, yeah. I hope you don't mind me coming back to you and asking a few questions, if that's okay. Yeah, um, Ethan, if you don't want to show your uh, contact info to everyone, you can change that box there. And if you give your, your email or your cell phone to, I think it's, I don't remember, what's it say? Uh, what are the choices when you do that? Uh, it's It's... You can just send it to say Rachel, the host, okay? Then no one else is going to see it. Uh, but Solar, see, I, I, I like that about people. I like that about anybody. I love it. Show. If you don't know the answer to the question, tell us that. I don't know, but I will find out for you and we'll get back in touch. So thank you for the question, Ethan and Solar. Thank you for being uh, brutally honest. I appreciate it. So Solar, here's a, here's a question for you. And a lot of people don't understand what I'm getting ready to ask because they're not in a certifying world. They're, a lot of people just, just farm, okay? But what do you think about the concept of just another certification, us against them mentality? How do you, how do you deflect or how do you, how do you have a conversation with that type of person? We won't survive if we do that. Yeah. We, we will we will die before we are hurt. I mean, that's something that we are very conscious about. This is not about an organization. This is not about being a cult. This is not about exclusivity that is, is, is only us who is doing it. You are not doing it. This is truly what, what we want to create is a truly inclusive and expansive opportunity to have those who have more than 90% of the farms in terms of acreages in the middle that are not necessarily certified yeah. to be able to get recognition. And, and I'm not saying they should be certified. And again, there are so many companies that are working on enabling the regenerative movement, right? Um, but Rick, long answer short, <laughs> we, won't, we won't last a year, you know, if we create that sort of mentality and culture. Yeah. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that, that that's, that that's not going to happen. Yeah. See, a lot of people, I mean, this organic, when we transition to organic and then you start to see all the paperwork and all the, 
the, the, the testing and back testing and, and we get, we get audited every single year and we have to have plans that go out for three years. What are you going to do for the next three years on every one of your fields? Now, most people just cringe at something like that, but once you get into the flow of doing that, it's very simple then. It just takes a few minutes because you've already got the, 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 the next two years, you just gotta do, add one more on. So, and then the, that year falls off next year and you add another one on. So, you know, it's like everything else. You just got, you just have to get up and take that first step. And then it just starts to all fall into place. Ethan, thank you. Uh, um, Ethan is Ethan and I have have gone back and forth on some emails in the past. Ethan, we're probably I need to get you on the podcast. Um, so look for an outreach there to 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 get you on sometime. But Ethan, th thanks for thanks for all your comments. Um, Paul Thomas, how you doing, Paul? It's really hard to wrap all this educational info into a formal farming practice. Well, that's exactly right. So what do you think, Salar? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, 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 you know, Rick Clark podcast was 24 seven, you could still, you know, carry on and doing it forever and then learn something new all the time. Right. <laughs> um, I agree. I agree. But what, what is, again, I'm not from a farming background folks, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm from a different background, but you know what? The, the most engaged industry that I've seen in taking active interest into what they are doing, not only looking at it as a job, <laughs> because a lot of people do, they're looking at it as a way of life, as a way of growth, as a way of progression and prosperity are the farmers, right? The, the, the amount of information, knowledge, contents that farmers go through day in and day out, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it really is. Yeah. But also it is, I think it is, it is important that again, I go back to Will, Will's, Will Harris's comment around complicated versus complex, that we need to, we need to get together as an, as a, as a, as a, you know, as a, as an industry colleagues to think about how we can distill some of these educational materials into sim simple layman terms. So folks can refer to if they are if they are in certain ge geographic, they're they're in certain crop production time, they're in certain um, you know certain production models. So I don't think there is a there is a fitting to be honest answer for it, but but to say that we have to just make it more accessible um, and, and and make it more backed by science and data and experiments, right? That's where you can really see how that would impact your operation. Yeah. Um... Rate or, or Salar, you, you can probably, I know you can type fast. Could you quick respond to the group? Give us your web page and whatever amount of information you would like to have out there. I don't know if you want to do your cell phone. That's totally up to you. Um, and here it comes. There, there it is. There's his, uh, there's his email. Um, we'll see what else he wants to give everyone here. But, you know, this is this is important this is the future and if you don't think this is the future then then there's something wrong so i'm going to go back to that i told you i was going to ask a question to you um you did not know about ethan's ant question but i'm going to ask you another 
type of question. Have you gone to, what's the strangest place you guys have been asked to, to certify? Strangest, the strangest, I mean, vermicompost or orange production, I don't know, it's what, whatever. Rick, do you mind if I change the word strange to exotic? <laughs> yeah, there you go, exotic, even better. I'd say a couple of exotic and, and really fascinating verifications we've done was in Liberia, Ghana, that's in Sub-Saharan Africa, and lately in Guatemala, uh, next to a volcano, volcano, activated volcano mountain. Um, I wasn't there, but I'm looking at the videos and pictures, they're incredible. Holy smokes. No, that's mm -hmm. crazy. Now, that's exotic. That, I'm glad you changed that, uh, changed that for me. Thank you. And, and, and Ricky, if you don't mind, I just want to give you some, some of our takeaways from these, these um, visits. Um, the visit we paid to Liberia, folks, was a palm kernel production. You know, you know palm trees, and they have to grow palm kernels. They're you know, huge forests, right? You know, in rural, you know, Liberia, and they palm fascinating. Oil. Exactly, they extract palm oil exactly for for soap production for many many other uses. So this particular you know forest, it was about you know hundred thousand acres, um, and they are supported by thirty two communities or villages. Wow. So essentially, these villages are the farmers of those forests, the guardians of those forests. Uh -huh. Right. So day in and day out, anyone from the age of five to 95 goes to this forest and what they do, because they can't wait for the for the kernels to drop because you will you will lose it in, in the forest and cover crops, essentially. So they climb these massive trees to pick up the kernels and bring it down. They're and going up these trees with no shoes on. Right. And a, like a little sling that just run up. You exactly, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, the health and safety directorate will be all over you if you're in the US or in the UK, you know, it's, it's remarkable what they do. And, and for them, farming is a way of surviving, because if they don't do it, they don't have the means of carrying on, they can't live folks, it's not about debt anymore. They get paid to nourish and nurture these forests, uh, regeneratively. Um, the other verification with them, which is fascinating, and, and, and I don't have all the technical layman's terms, but it was in shea nuts, which becomes shea butter, and again, wow. used for soaps and many other products yeah. um, in Ghana. What's fascinating is that they have all these shea, shea nut trees, and they have to do controlled fire every year because the temperature soars, and if the vegetation is catching fire, you have forest fires, and you're your entire vitality in terms of production and your home and livelihood is under danger. So they, they do controlled fires. Yeah. What is interesting is that the community next door, they have all these goats and animals um, that they're roaming around. And this community absolutely hates the goats and the animals because they're just coming and eating the shea nut tree leaves. So we went through a verification there and our verifier told them, have you ever thought about letting these livestock to graze on the vegetation that grows so you don't have to do controlled fires. And it was just a light bulb moment for folks. Oh, wow. And, and the very thing that they don't like could be a solution oh. for them to have cover on the ground, let them graze, yeah. you know, you look after your ecosystem, which is fascinating.
But anyways, I just wanted to mention those two things quickly. That's pretty cool. I mean, just think about, and I'm not, I'm not trying to praise anyone here. I'm just trying to recognize, I mean, like Gabe, I mean, Gabe is relentless. He's tired. He, he, he just goes, he travels, I don't know, 300 days a year. It's some insane number. And, and the things that they've accomplished, I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, so what, and I, I don't want, if you can't talk about, that's fine. Just say, I can't talk about this, Rick, but do, do you have companies? Do you have the, the processor or the packager that you're working with that boy, you know, if you could just get us 80,000 acres of Durham wheat, whatever, whatever the, whatever. Okay, do you have those type of situations in hand? And now, so you've almost got the car to the head of the horse. So now we got to go find these farmers that are going to make up the 80,000. Do you have those kind of situations? Yeah, I, I would make an example. This happened literally last week. Um, we are working with a, with a, with a brand who is wanting to launch the first certified Regenify product in the category. Uh, and they want to achieve 100% Regenified. Um, and barley is something that they, they need, right? Um, okay. And they've, they've contacted us, and again, we're working and said that can be sourced Regenified barley. And in a space of matter of an hour and a half, we've connected them with three farmers. The day after, they sent a sample to this company. And essentially, now this company needs a barley, Regenified certified barley, and there are farmers who are growing it in Montana, in, in the East Coast. Um, and there is another one in North Dakota, it's not Cape, by the way, um, that is doing it. So short answer, Rick, is yes, we are getting those requests. And also, we are getting requests from farmers. I mean, we have, a, we have an amazing farmer in, in Canada who recently came to us and said that they have Camelina that, oh. that, that is ready to go. So now again, we are, we have a supply chain lead that works at Regenified with us and, and their role is to really engage with all the traders, with the elevators, with the brokers and buyers out there. We are trying to help them to find markets for those products as well. Yeah. So again, we take pride and value to see Regenified certified products are in the ecosystem and connected to brands. And that's why we invest in making sure that, that, that that marketing piece is becoming expansive over time. Yeah. And, you know, I got to assume, again, you shouldn't make assumptions, but I have to assume here that let's say, you know, you pull that off. So you get the, you get the, the processor or the package or whoever that is that comes to you and you get the group, that word spreads. Hey, did you hear that? You know, then all of a sudden now you might get other processors that are going to do a different product and then say, look, those guys could put the pieces together. Let's get this moving, you know, 150 miles in the southeast of this direction, whatever. I'm just making this up as I'm going. But I can see this becoming a domino effect. I, I, I believe so too, Rick. I mean, we are seeing brands who want these certified regenified products and that, you know, elevators or processes or mills in the middle would have not voluntarily signed up for, but they are now requiring them which will enable and, you know, those supply chains to take place and more and more folks wanting to have, you know, the supply available um, for, for brands and retailers. But what is, what is more interesting, Rick, to your point, is that the, the, there is an onerous and duty on us to make sure we communicate with farmers every year 
to tell them what's the hottest crop production this year. Yeah. You know, like achieve certain amount of premium. So you want to bring the level of insight. I mean, you talk about peas. I, I, I hear all the time from your podcast, you know, how can we bring those level of insights and education to farmers so you can plan your next year rotation according to what's hot in the market, if that makes sense. Right. And I think Cameline is one of them because there, there's a big push right now for re, uh, renewable energies and Cameline is going to be on that list. I mean, it'll be with soybean oil and, and sunflowers and whatever. Cameline is going to be on that list. And I have started to research this product because I think it could work here. And, and we may need to move into that. Now, do I have a market for it? No, but it's all right. We'll, we'll try to find one somewhere. And if we only use it as a cover crop to get us transitioned to the next cash crop, then so be it. It's, it's another species we never planted before. So, yeah, I, I and, like that. And, and if we can be of use to connecting you to folks to that Camelina farmer, to get some information, again, reach out to me. I'm happy to make a connection. Uh, again, this is a this is a community that thrives on exchange. Yeah, and Paul's asking about Pennycrest. Yep, same thing, Paul. Now we got to be careful here, folks. Again, let me go back. Let me go back to my world. We're organic, no tillage, no chemistry. I have to be very careful. I mean, Covercrest or Pennycrest could be devastating on the volunteer side of the equation. So we've got to be careful. And same thing with probably maybe Camelina. I've not researched it enough. I'm just in the beginning stages. But the last thing we can have here is an outbreak of um, volunteer. I don't know what is uh, Camelina a perennial or I assume it's an annual, right? It's probably an annual. Again, I don't know. I haven't researched enough. But again, think about what your termination is and uh, go 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 that route and and you know if you're still using some some chemistry then do it all throw everything at it uh benjamin rick check out the business i'm starting biome.us focusing on camelina write that down this is why we do these things biom.us b-i-o-m U.S. All right, you bet. You bet, Ben. I will do that. Ben Crandall. Thank you, Ben. Um, I'm trying to make a market for it direct to consumer for high omega-3 cooking oil. Exactly. <coughs> um, and it is an annual. It's a cousin of canola. See, that scares me. I have taken canola out of my lineup because I cannot stop it. And that's a problem. So I have to be very, very careful here. But that's just me. This is another opportunity to get another crop, another exudate in the ground, a different root structure, all of these things. And here's another thing I'm going to say, though. I, I wish I didn't have to give up um, canola because canola thrived in our system. So there's something about canola, or our system that canola likes. I just can't stop the, uh, I, I just lost the word, the, the, one, the, the ones that come back next year. So thank you for the information. Yes, I need to check it out. Uh, there's a lady at, um, I think it's North 
North Dakota State University, a professor there that's deep into Camelina. Uh, Benjamin, do you know who I'm referring to there? Um, anyway, the word I was looking for earlier, earlier there was volunteer. Um, you know, you're, you're going to get volunteers coming out because this seed is extremely small. You're not going to get it all. You're going to have some go out the back end of your combine. But anyway, um, great, great conversation. Thanks. Um, folks, we're going we're gonna to head toward, uh, yes, that's it. Marisol Bertie. Exactly. Thank you, Benjamin. I had about an hour of conversation with her at one of my speaking events in the, in the Dakotas. Wonderful lady. So um, anyway, Camelina is making, it's sticking its head up. It's making a rise here. Okay, any last minute questions, folks? Uh, we're coming up on an hour and a half. That's kind of like where I like to shut them down. Uh, we have to be respectful of Salar's time. Uh, anybody have a last question? I mean, this is this is the man. This is the CEO of Regenify. So now's the time. Uh, one more question, Salar, and this is going to be kind of a funny question. I mean, funny as in ha-ha. Have you ever had people... Have you ever had people that are so determined that they're going to pass, they call you in to come in and they bomb, they bomb the, 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 the first time you guys got there because they thought their soils were better than they really are. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, you described it very well when you were asking this question, I would say what, because we believe that, by doing the certification, folks are making an investment. It is absolutely important for us to do as much discovery as we can before we go on field. And I like because that. we don't want to trick folks on just becoming certified and we go then they spend, you know, a couple of thousand dollars and they don't meet it. So, and we, we are honest with folks. If, if what we are seeing in terms of pictures, the information they are supplying to us as part of their submission, looks very promising, we'll tell them, hey, from what you sent us, you are doing it the right way. Now we have to come and verify it, obviously, because it could be someone else's picture, right? Um, but but we haven't yet had folks, you know, who, who said that I'm amazing, but then we go to their farm and, and they are not. And I think that's a unique part of our verification program as yeah. well, just because we are meeting folks where they are. It's not about, again, whether you meet it or not. It's about how far you are than to regenerative path. I think that helps to prevent such, you know, reactions, if that makes sense. And, and Rick, we collect a lot of data and evidence. So you can always go back to those data and contest those data if you don't agree with it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And see, the other thing I like about that, uh, the answer there was, there's no, you guys don't have a set um, um, playbook that you're running off of. You're not, this is not cookie cut every farm is different so i love that because maybe they did a practice that is a little bit different or handled differently or done at a different time of the year that maybe penalized them more than it should have i mean i'm just i'm just kind of spitballing here but i like the fact that it's just not you're in or you're out i, I like that yep and 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 honestly rick we are we are now this year certifying some forest and timberlands in the U.S. Again, you cannot just have a checklist of farm farm assessment and go to a timberland. So we are using our framework, the 634, and again, considering the context of the forest and the timberland production yeah. and do the verification that way. 
I mean, I, I got to imagine pine trees are different than uh, locusts or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, anybody, last minute questions? Here we go. This is it. If you got them, get them now because I'm getting ready to shut this down. Salar, thank you so much. We have learned so much here about not only your company, but the certification process in general. So thank you so much. Um, it, it's an honor to know you. Um, you, your companies are great. Um, I'm getting to know more and more of your people all the time. Uh, be honest, um, I've, I've never met Gabe Brown until about uh, six weeks ago. And um, I think Gabe and I got along real well. Um, I think we hit it off pretty good. So Salar, thank you. Uh, keep up the great work, and and what I really really like about what you're doing here is it's more than just the farmer. You guys understand, you got to go all the way through the food chain, and that's what you're trying to do. So give us exactly. some, give us some closing comments. Well, first of all, Rick, very kind of you for those words. Um, you know, the moment I met you back in January, I think it was in Arizona um, oh. in Scottsdale. I had dinner with you and Carol, and I think Steve Groff and uh, his his wife was were there too. Um, you you kept inspiring me. Uh, thank you for everything that you are doing. Thank thank you for keeping these podcast series up. Yeah, I'm just gonna say the future in regenerative agriculture is very bright. There are there are amazing programs out there. There's an amazing amount of contents out there, and there are people like you, Rick, that keep inspiring other people. So uh, I think we are in safe hands. Uh, and and I'd, I'd like to thank everybody for sparing the time in the evening to listen to me. Do you reach out to me anytime? I'm happy to answer any questions you have. That's great. Slar, thank you so much. Everyone, have a great evening. And the audience, thanks for, for back and forth tonight. The conversation was awesome. Thank you. Everyone, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Salar, thanks. Thank Bye -bye. you.